You know, we've been looking the last few weeks. I've asked two questions the last two Sundays. One, the first question was, who is a Christian? That's perhaps life's most important question. Who is a Christian? And we answered it from the book of First John. And last week I asked the question, how is your thought life? We answered that from Philippians, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely. Second Corinthians 10, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. But today I want to ask you a third question. And it's really, it's easy to answer, but it's not easy to answer. So it's a personal question, okay? What is the greatest desire of your life? At this moment in your journey, what is the greatest desire in your heart? Now, by the way, there are many, many good desires. Oh, I'm talking to you about the greatest desire. Some say, well, I have a desire for my children to know God, to love God, not to be lukewarm, but to have a genuine walk with Jesus. Man, that's a great desire. You see, I desire for my marriage to be such that it's truly a marriage that is, shows Jesus Christ where the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church and the wife respects her husband. Man, I have, I have desires for my marriage. I have desires uh, uh, for other family members and friends. But you know, I believe there is a desire that supersedes all other. And you, I could go on and list good legitimate desires. But I believe there is a desire that should be the one that is above all other and then all other desires will fall out of that. And that desire is found in Psalm 63 verses 1 through 8. And they'll put that on the screen. And can you feel um, can you feel the passion of David's heart when he wrote this? Can you feel throbbing in his heart the desire that motivated him? Man, I, every time I read this, I say, man, boy, David, you were, you were hard after God. It says in Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. And then listen to what he says. My soul thirsts for you. Wow. David said, I'll tell you what's burning in my, I've got a thirst for you, oh God. My soul thirsts for you. Then he said, my flesh longs for you. Man, do you feel the passion in David's heart? God, I'm thirsty for you, and, and I, I'm longing for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. And then he goes on and says, to see, so I've looked for you. He said, God, I'm Hungry, I'm thirsty for you. I'm longing for you. So I looked for you. He said, I went to the house of God, gathered with the people of God. He said, I looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. What a passion. What a desire, a thirst and longing for God. And then he went and said, Lord, let me tell you, I know this much. 
Your loving kindness is better than life. And my lips shall praise you. There are a lot of other desires. But I believe the greatest desire of our heart should be the thirst and the longing for God himself. There's another passage that says the same thing. In Psalm 42, I want you to look at that. This was written by the sons of Korah. But you know, they're right exactly where David was. It says here, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul after you, O God. As the deer's thirsty for water and looks, he said, I'm telling God, I am thirsty. I'm thirsty for you. Boy, look at this. My soul thirsts for God. That is a great desire, y'all. Man, that is a great passion. My soul thirsts for you, O God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Man, what, what a desire. My tears have been my food day and night when they said to me, where is your God? I guess this is what Jesus was talking about. Having a longing for God, having a thirst for God, having a desire for him. When in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's God. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So the burning passion for our life should be for God himself. Now, by the way, there's a verse of Scripture that says, if there's a longing and a thirst and a hunger and a passion to know God in his fullness and to experience his presence, that all other desires can flow out of that. In Psalm 37, 4, you know what it says? Listen to what it says. Delight yourself in the Lord. Oh, that's where it begins. That's where every passion and every desire ought to flow out of it. He said, delight yourself in the Lord. But look at the rest of it. And he will give you the desires of your heart. You know why that's true? Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, you want what he wants. His desire becomes your desire. You know, there's just a great need for us to, to have a passion and a desire and a longing and a thirst for God himself. For God himself. You know, Jeremiah was thinking about that, and, and you're going to recognize verse 11 in Jeremiah 29, but then I want you to look at the verses after that. Now, how many times have we been discouraged or on a, in a hard place? Somebody says, well, let me tell you how God feels about you. Now, look at what it says on the screen. It says, I know the, the thoughts I have toward you, says the Lord. I know the thoughts I'm thinking toward you, toward you. The thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He said, God, I'm, I'm, I'm for you. But then what it said, look what he says in the next verse. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen. But then the next verse says, and you will seek me and find me 
when you search for me with all your heart. God said, you know, I'm not looking for a half-hearted desire for me. He said, God said, you know, you, you, you will, I, you'll really seek me and you'll really find me when you search for me with your whole heart. And that's what David was saying. The sons of Korah were saying, I'm thirsty for you, O God. I long for you, O God, in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. In Psalm 119, verses 2 and verse 10, you know what it says? This is exactly what needs to be true of us. Blessed are those who keep his word, who seek him with their whole heart. You know, it's hard to do that today. There are so many things clamoring for our heart. So many things clamoring for our attention. So many th- demands that press in on our lives. And, and you find yourself just getting spread so thin. But, but, but he said, blessed are those who keep my testimonies and who seek me with their whole heart. And then verse 119, chapter 1, verse 19 says again, verse 10, with my whole heart have I sought you. God, I hadn't been half-hearted in my desire for you, half-hearted in my seeking you, half-hearted in my passion for you. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wonder from your commandments. You know, God is good. God loves to bless his children. The Bible says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And we see the hand of God as he day after day, minute after minute, provides for us in every area of our life. But you know, it's not enough to seek the hand of God. And if we're not careful, we'll get so busy seeking the hand of God, what God does for us, and that's good, and the blessings of God. We'll get so busy seeking the hand of God that we will not seek the face of God. You know, so many times we get enamored with the gifts of God. But you've got to understand that it's not the gifts that we are to seek. It is the giver. And our heart is to go after him. You know, the Bible tells us to seek God's face. It's amazing. It says, it says, just seek God's face. Let me tell you what happens to you. When you have a thirst for God and a hunger for God and a passion for God himself, himself, and when you go after him with your whole heart, you find out that as you, that you uh, begin to understand who God is and, and his presence in your life every day. And, and, and you be just begin, not literally, but to see his face. You know what Second Chronicles 7, 14, that's a great verse on revival. But, but I want you to notice what he said here. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Now listen to this. He didn't say seek revival. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Oh. We're to seek the face of God, which is God himself. And it's amazing how much it says in the Bible about the face of God, how that we're hungry and we're thirsty and we're longing and we have a passion. But it has so much to say about the face of God.
that seek in his face. You know, I, I just uh, begin to think about in Psalm 80, it, three times it says what happens when we seek God's face. In Psalm 80, verse 3, I want you to listen to what it says. Restore us, O God, and cause your face to shine upon us. Hey, I'm not, we're not seeking the hand of God. We delight in him and he blesses us. We're just not seeking the gifts of God. And they are good and that's the way his church prospers. Oh no, it is God himself. It is his face. And he said, Lord, restore so God. Cause your face to shine upon us. We shall be saved. Says the same thing in verse 7. Restore, O God of hosts, cause your face to shine upon us, and we shall be saved. It says the same thing in verse 19, where it says, Restore, O Lord God of hosts, cause your face to shine, and we shall be saved. You know, somehow I said to myself this morning, God, I, I, I want to get beyond all the clutter and all the, the things that pull at us in life. And somehow I want to be able to say, and I want everybody in this room to be to say, I want us to be able to say, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Oh, friend, listen. Somehow God needs to work that in us. I'm going to talk to you about how God can work that in us, that we will have a hunger for him, not just what he does, but for him, and how we'll have a thirst for him. And how that will be the driving passion of our life. You know what? You, you know that great um, passage in Numbers? It's a great blessing that he spoke over the Israelites. Uh, it's in Numbers 24. Numbers, Numbers chapter 6. Verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. How many times has somebody spoken this over you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The next verse says... The Lord make his face, now look at this, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But do you know, there are places in the Bible where it says God will hide his face from us. Now, that's one thing for his face to shine upon us. And that is the very presence of God himself. It's not who, what God gives or what God does. It's God in Christ that we seek. But you know, there, the Bible says there are times that God will hide his face from us. Uh, and that's found, not in Exodus, about God hiding his face from us. It's found in Psalm, Isaiah 59, 2. Isaiah 59, 2. I may not have given you that scripture, but I should have. It says here, the Lord's hand is, oh, here it is on the screen. It, the first right before that says, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. His ear is not heavy that it cannot hear. But your, but your, in, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Now listen to this. And your sins have hidden his face from you. Oh, that's the last thing. 
that I want for God's face to be hidden from you and God's face to be hidden from me. You know, I've been thinking about this, that we seek God with our whole heart. And he is our passion. We're just not looking for what he can do or what he can give, but we want him. And I said, if you're a child of God, one day you're going to get to the place that God's not going to only, not, not only be the one you want, you're going to find out God's the only one you've got. You find out where Vance Havner said after his wife died. He said, well, Dr. Havner, how are you? He said, where I've always been. He said, I'm shipwrecked on God, and I'm stranded on him. So many of us have been to the place that God was not only all we wanted, but he was all we had. But you know he's enough. And that's why we're to seek him, because when you have him, you have everything. And, you know, the, the, the Isaiah said, listen, don't, don't let your sins hide the face of God from you. Don't do that. Don't do that. And, 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 and the psalmist said the same thing about not allowing God's face to be hidden from us. Look at Psalm 27, verse 8 and 9. It'll be on the screen. It says, when you said, now this is what the Lord's saying to us this morning. When you said to me, seek my face, my heart said to you, Lord, your face I will seek. And look at the next verse. Do not hide your face from me. Wow. That's what happens. Jesus, all right, you've got to stay with me. Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you. No, never leave you. If you're a child of God, he lives in you. And he's not going to leave you. When the Holy Spirit came to dwell in your body, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and he does not come and go. He can be grieved. He can be quenched. But he's not leaving because he came to live in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God comes to dwell in you. So he's not going to leave you, but there are times when we seek him with our whole heart and when our heart is toward him, and we're longing for him, that we feel the presence of God. But then there may come a time when we allow things in our life that quench the Holy Spirit, that grieve the Holy Spirit, that are not pleasing to God. And, and, and that's why the, the psalmist said, Lord, do, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn away from your servant in anger. You have been my help. And he prayed something we don't have to pray. Do not Leave me nor forsake me. He doesn't do that to his children. Not in the new covenant, not in grace. Oh, God of my salvation. Well, we have many examples in the Bible of people who went from seeking God's way or God's hand to seeking God himself. And there's much we can learn from that. Let's take, for example, Moses. I want us to look in, at Moses for a moment. In Exodus 33, verse 12. Now, here's an example of how Moses was in his journey. He was going to be leading the children of Israel, and he just told God in Exodus, he said, now look, he said, uh, uh, God told him, he said, I'm, I'm on, I'm on, you're going to be okay, Moses. You know, Moses had a, a large congregation of about 3 million. I think it was about 3 million. 
And all of them were Baptists. All of them were Baptists because they would, one day they'd get right with God and the next day they'd rebel. But Moses said he knew what a tough crowd he had to lead. So he began to say, then Moses said to the Lord, you said to me, bring up this people. But you have not let me know whom you're going to send with me. I can't take them up there by myself. You, yet you have said, I know you by name. He said, you hadn't told me who's going to help me get these people where they're supposed to go. But you've told me you know me by name and that I have found grace in your sight. And then Moses goes on. And in verse 14, this is what God says to him. Moses. I'm not going to send somebody with you. Look what he said. My presence will go with you. Oh, everything changes. <laughs> everything changes now. Uh, he's got a tough task. But Moses, God says, my presence is going to go with you. And Moses goes on and says, well, if your presence is not going to go, I'm not going. But then uh, Moses had asked God to show him his way. But then he got down in verse 18, and this is what he said. He went from asking God to showing him his, from going with him and from showing him his way. Then he got down in verse uh, 18 where he said, God, show me your glory. He said, I, I, I want to see you, Lord. I want your presence. That's what I want. I just don't want your way, but, Lord, I want you. And he said, I want you to show me your glory. I want to know what it is, Lord, to live in your presence. I know what it, I don't want to know. I want to know what it is to live surrounded by the glory of the living God. So Moses had a journey from get wanting to know God's way to wanting to see God's face. You know, did you know that uh, Jesus gave us a promise in John 14, 21? And it's just a, a few little words at the end of this verse. But now I want you to get a hold of this. Then I'm going to tell you how we can have that longing and thirst for God. In 1421, he said, now this is Jesus. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. Now listen to this. And I will love him and I will manifest myself. To him. Now, don't, don't let that get past you. Don't, don't, don't let that run by you. Jesus said, if you have my commandments and keep them, that's an evidence that you love me. And if you love me, my Father's going to be able to, to pour out his love on you. And I will love you. And he said, I'm not going to stop there. It's like he said, Moses, my presence will go with you. He said, I will manifest myself to you. And so what we need today is, it needs to be our great desire, a hunger, a thirst, a longing, a passion to know God. A hunger, a thirst, a passion, a longing to know Jesus. You know, have you, uh, you remember that song? You know, it's a good song, but I, I started singing it years and years and years ago. But I tell you what, I, I, it just came back to me like it was yesterday. This is what I'm talking about, longing, longing for Jesus. I have a longing in my heart for him.
just to be near him, to sense his presence. Ooh, I have a longing in my heart for him. We used to sing that. I think times we didn't even know what we were singing. But they just said, Jesus, it's not what you can do. It's for you. I have a longing in my heart for you. Just to be near you. Just to sense your presence. He said, that's, that, that, that's what will give me the strength to go on. Now, here's my battle. And if, I know it's your battle. Okay, I, I, so I, we live in, in a difficult world. We have a lot of pressures on us. Everything's pulling at us. I mean, we have demands of being a husband, being a wife, have, being an employer or an employee, children to take care of, all this kind of stuff. Everything, you know, you know, it's just life has never been so full of stuff. And so we find everything pulling at us. And if you're not careful, Jesus will be kind of pushed to the side. And your longing and passion for God will grow cold. And so what we need to do is this. And we need to ask God to give us a longing for him. That for the Holy Spirit, we need to ask God for grace. And I'm going to read something to you that that, that, will say exactly what I'm saying. We need to ask God for grace to have a thirst for him. God, give me grace to be thirsty for you. Lord, give me grace to long for you. Give me grace, Lord, to, to look for you and let you be the passion of my life. A.W. Tozier, great, great man of God. I want you to listen to his prayer. He wrote a book that is a classic called The Pursuit of God. Ooh. He just talked about pursuing God. That's what I'm talking about. Lord, I'm thirsty for you. I'm hungry for you. I'm longing for you. I, I want my passion to, to be to pursue you. Jesus, I want to pursue you. Tozier talked about the pursuit of God, but listen to his prayer. And, and this is exactly what we need to pray to God. It says, Oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. He said, God, I have experienced how good you are, and it not only satisfied me, but it made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I am ashamed of my lack of desire. Here's this man of God. He said, I'm ashamed that I don't desire you and long for you more than I do. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire. Oh, God, the triune God. Now, listen to what he said. I want to want you. Now, that's what I need to pray. Dear God, Jesus, I want to want you. And I ask you to give me grace to want you. I want to want you. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty. Look at him. He said, I'm thirsty to be made more thirsty that I may know you indeed. Show me your glory, I pray thee. Begin begin in mercy a new work of love within me. He said, just begin a new work of love within me, Lord. Say to my soul, rise up, my soul. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and to follow you from the misty lowland where I have wandered so long in Jesus' name. 
I'm not ever going to forget what Tozer said. Lord, I want to want you. I long to be thirsty, to long for you. God, I don't want to be satisfied with the fringe. I want to be satisfied with the fullness of your presence, the absolute fullness of your presence. And, and Lord, I, 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 I don't want to ever give up on my quest, my desire to know you more, to love you more, to have a more intimate walk with you, and to have a better fellowship with you. God, I, he said, I'm just saying to you, Lord, I want, give me the grace, Lord. Give me the grace. And by the way, now, there are two verses in Philippians that will help you to understand when you don't have something you know you need that you can ask God for it and he will work it in you. In Philippians 2, I'll, this is very, very important. Verses 12 and 13. Paul is writing to the Philippians. He said, now you've always obeyed when I was with you. Let me just read it. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed in my presence, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul said, when I was with you, you lived a life of obedience and you're still obeying me even, that I, even though I'm not absent with you. You're still obeying God, but work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then this is why you can pray, God, give me the grace to want you. Give me the grace to long for you. To give me the grace to be thirsty for you. Look what that verse says. It is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Everything good in you is initiated by God. Did you know that? You didn't seek God. God sought you. What about when Adam sinned? Did Adam say to Eve, we've sinned. We better go seek God and get this right. No, they hid from God. And God had to go find, the, he knew where they were, but God went looking for them and said, Adam, where are you? You see, you understand, it wasn't that we sought God, that he sought us. It wasn't that we said, I, I want to do this. God would put it in us. And what Paul said to the Philippians, whatever God works in you by his grace, then you work it out by the power of the Holy Spirit with fear and trembling. So it's right to say, Lord, work in me a hunger for you. Oh, God, work in me a thirst for you. Work in me a longing for you. God, let the overall cloud of my life be. I am hungry and thirsty for you, oh, God, in a dry and thirsty land. Now, let me tell you the result of that. You, you can call it this hunger and thirst for God. You can call it the presence of God. But let me tell you what happens now. When you seek God with your whole heart, and you're hungry and thirsty for him. And God says with you, my presence is with you. Let me tell you what happens. The first thing that happens is this. Is that there comes into your life conviction. Conviction of sin. Do you realize that? The closer you get to God. The more light you have. The more God shows you where you've come up short. Somebody gets the idea, well, what, boy, if I could just get close to God, yeah, you, and you need to, and that's what I'm talking about. But boy, I tell you, the closer you get to light. Listen, if we walked in this room and there was one little light on, 
you might see this pulpit up here, but I guarantee you, if there was just one little light on, you, you wouldn't see that. It's here, but you wouldn't see it because there wasn't enough light. There wasn't enough light. The more light, then all the lights come on. You not only see the pulpit, but you see this box of Kleenex up here. No, you can't, but I'll put it where you can see it. But I, I mean, you see, the more light you have, listen, when you are, seek and live in the presence of Jesus, the light shines, and there's conviction of sin. There's a broken and a contrite heart. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, not to be repented of. And there's a constant restoration of God in your life. And so one of the blessings of the presence of God is that there is conviction of our sin when we go astray, and there is a broken heart over our sin. There's a godly sorrow. And there is the sweet thing of forgiveness. And God's face is shining toward us because we're living a life of repentance and a life of constant forgiveness. That's what happened to Isaiah. Did you know that's what happened to him when he got in the presence of God? He said in Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and his robe filled the temple. Isaiah and Uzziah were prayer partners. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. He was, he wasn't, Uzziah wasn't just a king. He and Isaiah were close. So when he died, it was traumatic. Well, in that experience, Isaiah saw the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord. What was the result of it? All right, if you look down, I think it's in the sixth verse, verse 5. You know what happened when he saw the Lord? He got under conviction. In chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, Isaiah says, Woe is them! Woe is them! He was talking about all the sins of Israel. Woe is them! And then when he saw the Lord, guess what he said? Woe is me! <laughs> he said, Woe is, I'm, I'm undone. That word means ruined. Come on, Isaiah. You were the one who'd been talking all those first five chapters about how Israel need to turn back to God and all that stuff. But then you saw the Lord and he said, Woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Listen. The presence of God brings an awareness of the holiness of God and conviction. But it not only brings conviction and confession, but it brings surrender. Oh, it's in the presence of God that you surrender. Because God issued a call. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom will go, whom shall I send, and who will go for me? And what did he say? There they are, Lord, send them. Uh uh, that's not what he said. You know what he said? He was in the presence of God. He said, Here I am, Lord. You send me. Wow. The presence of God brought conviction. And the presence of God brought surrender. I'm available, Lord. I'm available. Well, you know, another thing, not only does the presence of God bring conviction of sin, it brings a changed life. When a person encounters the presence of God, their life is changed. You know who I thought about? I thought about Paul. At that time, his name was Saul. He was... He was persecuting the church, Acts chapter 9. 
verses 3 through 6. He was persecuting the church. He was on the road to Damascus to arrest the Christians and put them in jail. But guess what happened? On the way, he had a divine interruption. He encountered the living God. And look at what it says. As he journeyed to Damascus, suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then it says, he fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. And then listen to what Paul said. He said, so he, he, he trembling and astonished said, Lord, oh, Lord, what would you have me to do? You know, his life was changed right there on the road to Damascus. And I tell you, the only person that changes people's lives, it's Jesus Christ. It's the living God. Now, they can come here and hear sermons and sing songs, and they can be blessed, and that is good. But unless they come here and encounter God himself, unless God speaks to them, unless God speaks to you, unless God reveals himself to you, you will leave the same. It is only an encounter with the living God that changes a life. And that's exactly what God wants to do. He wants you to seek him so that he can touch you and wherever you may be saved. But there are places you need to be changed and he will change you. But it will only come as you're touched by Jesus himself. It is the presence of God. But I tell you another thing happens when you seek his face. When you're hungry and thirsty for him and when you're longing for him. God not only changed Saul's life. He changed Jacob's name. <laughs> you know, Jacob means twister and deceiver. He was the one who was the great actor of the Old Testament. See, he wanted to get Esau's blessing. Esau was a rough man, rough. He was a man of the, of the woods, and he was rough and beard. And so Jacob <laughs> faked a beard and all that stuff and went to his father and, and got the blessing that his brother was, Esau was supposed to have. And then, boy, Esau heard where Jacob was, and he was coming. And, 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 and uh, <laughs> Jacob said, well, it's been a nice journey, but I'm fixing to die, you know. So he sent all his family across the, a, a brook, and he went back on the other side by himself. And I want you to look at what happened to Jacob. See, when he got in the presence of God, God changed his name. In, in Genesis 32, then Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And then you go on down in verse 30. So he wrestled with that. He was wrestling with God. I think it was a pre-incarnate Jesus. He was wrestling with Jesus. And, 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 and he wasn't getting anywhere. And, uh, and, 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 and Jesus said to him, uh, let me go. And, and Jacob said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And, and Jesus touched him in his hip or socket. And... Uh, and he was changed. He said, I'm changing your name, Jacob. It's no longer going to be Jacob, Twister. It's going to be Israel. It's going to be Israel. But now listen, from that point on, Jacob limped. But he was never the same again. Why? He encountered God. He was in the presence of God. And then, guess what he called that place? Look on the screen. I love it. Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. I'm going to tell you something. 
It is in the presence of God that there's fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. It is in the fullness of God that we can have a broken and contrite heart and live a life of repentance. But it is in the presence of God that we experience change. And and listen, we get saved. But the Bible says we're changed from glory to glory. Listen, you get saved. You're not there. God is constantly changing us from glory to to glory as we behold the Lord as in a mirror. It brought change. But you know, uh, I want to close by saying it's, it's the presence of God that draws people uh, to church. Uh, one of our ladies was talking to a lady in the grocery store, and uh, she said something to her about, you know, I'm going to uh, I'll go to Luke 418 Fellowship and that kind of stuff. And this lady was talking about she had some problems, and but she was doing better, and this lady said, well, you know what, what you need to, we'd love to have you come to our church. It's a loving church. We'll pray for you. She said, oh, 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 I, I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't want anything to do with religion. Religion doesn't work. If I'd have been there, I'd say, you're exactly right. <laughs> I don't want anything to do with religion either. Religion doesn't work. It doesn't. But Jesus does. And if you come to church, if you come to a church and you encounter religion, you're going to leave just as empty and dead as you were when you came. But if you come to the house of God and you see the face of God and you encounter God, you will leave not having religion, but you'll leave having a relationship with the Son of the Living God. Amen. And I want to tell you, it is the presence of God that draws people presence of God in your life. It is the presence of God in this body that draws people to him. That's why it's so important that the spirit of God not be grieved, the spirit of God not be quenched, that when people come, there's an unhindered flow of the Holy Spirit like a river of living water through this place where people can encounter God. Because I'm telling you, that's what draws people And that's why people come back because they say, you know, you know, I've experienced a lot. I felt God's presence there. It's more than emotion, y'all. It's much deeper than that. You just know that you're in the presence of Jesus. And and listen, that's a great need for the church. People, people, you know, they say, well, you've got to have the right lights. Dear Jesus, where does it say that in the Bible? You've got to have the right lighting. And then somebody says, no, you've got, to have some, you've got to have some smoke machines that blow smoke out on the screen. You know why we have smoke machines? When Isaiah saw God, God filled the house with smoke. The reason we have to make our own smoke is we don't have God's smoke. Listen, it's all, it's all God's work, y'all. We need to be obedient. We need to be loving. We need to reach people in, with the gospel. We need to care about them. I'm not, I'm not against, just against methods and things, but I'm telling you, if you start trusting in the method, you, you're sunk because the method is empty. It's Jesus that makes the difference in a person's life. And I'm, get, I'm telling you, it's, you, you, can, you can have bad music and bad... Uh, Maybe the carpet's not new, 
Maybe everything doesn't go <coughs> just right. But if Jesus is there, that's all that matters. That's all that matters. I want to close with this. <clears throat> How hungry are you for God? How thirsty are you for God? Can you say, and I struggle with this now. See, I, I, there's so much clutter in our lives. I struggle with this. Can you say longing? I have a longing for Jesus. I have a longing in my heart for him. Just to be near him, to sense his presence. You know, that, that's what Tozer said. I want to want you. I long to long for you. I have tasted of your goodness, and it has made me thirsty. But how hungry are you? How thirsty are you? Do you experience God's presence? It's not an emotion. Do you experience God's presence in your life day by day? <clears throat> I never will forget. I've told this story before. Most of you don't remember what I said last week, much less 10 years ago. <laughs> I went to see this man who lived opposite Cottage Hill on the visitor's card on the visit from the pastor. Now, y'all won't even fill out a visitor's card. You afraid somebody might call you. Come on, give me a break. We just want to know you're here and that we love you and we, <coughs> we want to be a minister to you. Well, back then, they'd say, somebody come see me. Uh-uh, not anymore. <coughs> Don't do it. But, um, this man, he said he wanted to visit, so I went to see him, and uh, boy, he started talking as soon as I got to the door. <clears throat> I knew I wasn't going to have to strike up a conversation. He was the conversation. <clears throat> and he told me this, and, and I, I need a drink of water. <clears throat> Is there any water in this bottle? No. <clears throat> Somebody got any water? All right, Lord, help me to get over this cough I got. All right, <clears throat> the devil doesn't want me to tell this story, but I'm going to. <clears throat> and he began to talk to him, and I said, uh, he said, would you know, Sunday was the first time I'd been to church in 15 years. I said, really? <clears throat> I said, why did you come? He said, well, my grandmother raised me, and she... Um, is dying, Pastor. She's dying. Thank you, David. She's dying. Now I got three bottles. I'll sit here and drink them the rest of the day. <laughs> she said she's dying, and I don't know how to deal with it. So I said to my wife and children, I said, uh, you know what we need to do? We need to get up and go to church tomorrow. It hadn't been 15 years. Because I don't know how to deal with gra Granny. I'm not ready for this. So they came. And I asked him a question. <clears throat> he told me why he came. He was in crisis. <clears throat> I said, well, they live two blocks from Cottage Hill Baptist Church. I said, let me ask you this. When you came in a crisis, what were you looking for? Well, look, he was only two blocks from our church. I knew we had the best music in town. I thought he was going to say, oh, I came because I heard what good music you had. He didn't mention the music, Brother Ed. And, of course, I thought the preaching was above average, and I said I thought maybe he came 
for the preaching. He didn't even mention my preaching. You know, he went right to the heart of the matter. I said, what were you looking for? What were you on? You know what he said? It's not, it, it, it's not the proper diction to say. He said, I was just hoping the presence of God would hit me in the face. Now, buddy, that knocked me back. And I said, I left there searching my heart. I said, oh, God. What if he'd heard good music? And what if he'd heard a good sermon? But he didn't encounter you. Praise God. Do you know what? He encountered Jesus. He got saved. His wife got saved. Both kids got saved. Hallelujah. Let me just say one thing. I'm just praying when people come in this place, they will say this. Surely the Lord is in this place. Oh, how long for you. I don't care if you've been saved 40 years. I want you to have an encounter with Jesus that will make you more hungry and more thirsty every time you come to this place.